invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 this morning, Mark chapter 2. Uh, we will continue our series in Mark's Gospel. Uh, the sermon this morning will be a bit abbreviated. We are going to be partaking in the Lord's table, and we want to make sure that we do that well and uh, end our service by rejoicing in Christ in that way. Um, if you take notes and you want a handout, there is a handout in one of the inserts in the bulletin, so you can, you can find it in there and take notes that way. Uh, there is a section coming a little bit later where I'll get into some practical application about fasting, and those notes might be helpful uh, at that point. Uh, the last several weeks, we have looked closely at what Jesus says about his own authority in Mark's gospel. And I've suggested that Jesus might not be like many of us would actually perceive him. Jesus makes many authoritative claims in the gospel. He will gather disciples to himself. He will break social customs, and he will do this. And Mark uses it to demonstrate, of course, his authority. As a matter of fact, uh, things are looking so differently that Jesus' followers, his disciples, begin to look and act differently. So much so that it draws questions from the established religious tradition. Uh, imagine a new rabbi, this is their perception, a new rabbi arriving on the scene, gaining a large gathering of people, and then they start neglecting pieces of the established religious tradition. They'd be perceived as revolutionaries. Things were being rearranged quickly, and it made people nervous. Matter of fact, in the text we'll look at today, they ask a question because of the behavior of the disciples. I want to get into the text, just a few verses, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, and I want to see it unfold in two ways. First, starting in verse 18. Look with me there. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So this text starts with another critical question. We've actually seen many of these throughout the text. This is actually three questions in a row that Jesus has to face. He's asked, who can forgive sins but God alone? His disciples are asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then here he's asked, why don't your disciples fast? Well, Mark uses these questions to draw out the divine nature of Jesus, his sovereign authority. Before we look at Christ's nature, though, I think we should look at this verse and consider to whom Jesus' disciples are being compared. You notice in your text right at the beginning, it says that there were two groups of disciples that were fasting. First, the disciples of John the Baptist. Okay, so uh, from this text, we realize that John the Baptist had his own set of disciples who followed him. And in one of the other gospels, I demonstrated that Andrew, who became one of Jesus' disciples, was originally a disciple of John the Baptist. But here in this text, we learn that the disciples of John the Baptist fast. We're not told the reason or reasons for their fasting. Uh, one commentator 
uh, said it may be that they were doing this in anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah. And I think that that could be true. That could be one of the reasons. I, I would be tempted to think that at least one of the reasons why John's disciples were fasting is because John had been taken away from them. Go in your Bibles just to chapter one. We won't, well, actually, we're gonna be going to a few places today, but go to chapter one and look at verse 14. Chapter one and verse 14, right before Jesus's public ministry begins, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So if I'm like reading Mark's gospel and I'm paying attention to chapter one, I know John the Baptist has been arrested. We don't even know, perhaps by this time he may have even been martyred, but he's at least arrested. I think one of the reasons his disciples might be fasting is because John has been taken away. They're mourning. They're attempting to beseech earnestly for the, lot, the, the good of John the Baptist. Uh, but then you, you also see another group that the disciples are compared to, and that would be the disciples of the Pharisees or the Pharisees themselves. This other group fasted regularly. The Pharisees fasted normally. Uh, you could go to some of the other gospels and see that the Pharisees fasted two days a week. Every Monday, every Thursday, they engaged themselves in fasting. Tradition kind of points us to the fact that they may, they may have done that because they believed that Moses went up to Mount Sinai on a Monday and came down on a Thursday. And so in honor of that, as part of their oral tradition, it's not in the law of Moses that they need to do this, but as part of their oral tradition, the Pharisees add this, okay? And it allows them to demonstrate their piousness and their humility or their, their piety, okay? Their devotion to the Lord, okay? So this is the scenario. You've got these people who are highly respected by others, the disciples of the Pharisees who are fasting regularly, and you've got John the Baptist followers who are fasting, but Jesus' disciples are not. And this critical question from the people draws out an answer from Christ in verses 19 through 22. And his answer, which is what I'd call, if you're taking notes, another amazing answer. It's like another critical question, another amazing answer. Verses 19 through 22, we have Jesus's answer coming in two ways. He starts with a counter question, a statement. And then he leads into two illustrations. We can go quickly through this. I want to see his counter question in verse 19. Look in your Bibles there. It says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast for the bridegroom or while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. First, just draw your attention to the way that Jesus normally works with these critics. They'll like ask questions and often he'll ask a question right back to the critic. You know, Jesus is just such a masterful person. He's the son of God. And so he poses this counter question. Sometimes he'll make the critics answer it, but here he provides the answer himself, just directly following, immediately following. He gives the, 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 the answer. Well, the counter question is about weddings. Jesus asks if it would be necessary for wedding guests, or it could also be translated groomsmen. It could be either way, the guests of a wedding or the groomsmen. 
if it would be normal for them or necessary for them to fast while the bridegroom is there. Now, in modern English, we, we often refer to this person as the groom, so I'm going to do that the rest. So would it be normal, would it be necessary for the groomsmen to fast while the groom is there? And I think with this question, he applies, and he tells us just after this, it'd be entirely inappropriate for wedding guests to fast, that is, to go without food at a wedding. I mean, imagine a wedding that required guests to fast in celebration of the day. Okay, now, I am the father of three single young ladies and women. And I have to say, this week, my mind got a little creative uh, in considering the potential for this sort of wedding. Okay. But imagine a wedding where people show up. You say, you know, this is like the normal time when we'd be like eating and stuff and, and celebrating, but we're all just going to fast today. Okay, and that's the scenario. That's the question that Jesus asked. That'd be a terrible idea. The wedding is a time of celebration instead of mourning and sorrow. So Jesus continues with the statement, verse 20, and he turns this wedding analogy a very interesting way. He turns it a strange way, actually. When he asks us to imagine a wedding where the groom is taken away. This is an unusual illustration. I mean, this would never happen, right? Where the groom is snatched away. He says, when the groom is snatched away, then, of course, the groomsmen would fast. I mean, it becomes obvious at this point that Jesus is using this as an illustration of his own ministry. And he's not just answering the question, why don't the disciples fast? He's answering the question, when will they fast? When will they fast? In this analogy, just to be clear, I think the groom represents Jesus. And the groomsmen are the disciples. Or the wedding guests are disciples. And To me, the key to understanding this analogy and and trying to make sense of it is the verb. It's the verb in verse 20. Okay, because this, I think the whole text kind of swings on this verb. Look in your Bibles at verse 20. It says, the days will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So if you're taking notes, that little phrase is taken away is very important. Matter of fact, in my Bible, I've underlined it, and I put what I think it means in the margin next to this in the Bible. Because when you come to this phrase, is taken away, or this verb, it uh, is a strange, strange part of the story. Is taken away, I'll just say a few things about it. First, it's a passive verb. I think that's important. It's passive, meaning Jesus does not take himself away, but someone or something takes him away as the groom. The other thing I'll say about this verb is it's rare. It's only ever found in the New Testament in this place. Only in this place. It speaks of Jesus being snatched away from the disciples. But uh, where I really want to probe into this a little bit in, in the short amount of time we have this morning is to look at the timing of this event. The timing of the snatching away or the taking away is left open. We don't know exactly, unless you do, I don't know exactly what Jesus is describing. The best I can understand it in studying it this whole week, and and perhaps even in other times before this, is that Jesus may be talking of one of two things. One of two things. I think it's one of these two. 
be honest with you, I always took it a different way until a few weeks ago, and I, I think that perhaps their argument's another way. When he says, is taken away, he might be referring to, number one, his ascension to heaven. His ascension to heaven. This is the way I always understood the phrase. The disciples should not mourn or fast because Jesus is with them. But eventually, he'll be taken away to heaven. And then they should mourn. If this is so, then it would be a legitimate expression for current believers, for us, to fast as a means of longing for the return of the Lord. To declare to him, we're not content with the, things, the way things are right now. There's one big thing that we're really missing, and it's you. It's you. So one commentator writes this, Mark Strauss. He says, more likely here, he said, Jesus is referring to the time after his ascension, which for his disciples would be characterized by trials, testing, spiritual discipline, and preparation for his return. Okay, so at least one person thinks it's ascension like I used to. Perhaps many people in this room, I think many people in this room would take it that way. The other way you can take the verb, though, is taken away, is that this might be in reference to his betrayal and crucifixion. It might be in reference to the fact when evil men and authorities, human governmental authorities, snatched Jesus away from the disciples. So the disciples should not fast when Jesus is with them, but when he's taken away from them at his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion, it will be appropriate for them to fast. If this is what Jesus is speaking of here, then this speaks of a time when Jesus is snatched away and led to his crucifixion. And after much study this week and weeks before this and thinking through this, I think that this is the best solution. There are a few reasons I would hold to this. So just, you know, fasten your safety belts and let me just give you a few here for a second. First, I think that this is speaking about Jesus's betrayal and crucifixion because then it would make the disciples' need for fasting similar to the fasting of John, the, the disciples of John the Baptist. Okay, he was arrested, taken away, they fast, and Jesus, as he's given this analogy, is saying, why in the world would my disciples fast? I'm right here with them. But there's coming a time when, like John the Baptist, I'll be snatched away, and that'll be a time for fasting. I think another reason I believe this is because of Isaiah 53. Why don't you turn back in your Bibles? We're going to be flipping around just a little bit in the next few minutes. Isaiah chapter 53, look there in your Bibles. Although this, this word is taken away, is not found in any other New Testament text, a simplified form of this word is used two times of Jesus, of the future Messiah, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And so I, I just want to take you to a familiar text where you can see this word. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 6. Isaiah 53, 6. Remember this verse? All we like... Sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him. Who's that? You can answer out loud. Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And then you won't see it in the ESV as well, but I'll read it this way. And as for his generation, who considered that he was taken away from the land of the living, stricken 
for the transgressions of my people. And Isaiah chapter 53 is most certainly talking about the events of the arrest, betrayal, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Oppression and judgment will come and snatch him away, and he'll be snatched away from the land of the living. He'll be taken away. And so I think that when Jesus says there's coming a day when the bridegroom is going to be taken away, then they should mourn. He might be referencing his own crucifixion. Third reason I think that this would be his crucifixion is because Jesus is speaking of fasting that should be done, if Jesus is, thinking, is speaking of fasting, it should be done during and after his arrest and crucifixion, um, then I think it would, 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 would definitely factor in very well with what he has to say about the glories of the resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Okay, so at least in one key text, that I can't go through all my notes here, but at least in one key text in John's gospel, he says, you know what, there's coming a day when I'm going to be taken away, and when I do, it's going to be better for you because I'm going to send God's Spirit, and he's going to indwell in you, and he's going to comfort you, and he's going to strengthen you. And so it appears to me that Jesus is describing the time that he would be taken away to crucifixion. That would be the time for his followers to fast over his absence. His followers don't need to fast when the Son of God is with them. Having understood this text in its original context, I just want to take a few moments to talk about how this might apply for us. Okay? I normally wouldn't take five minutes like this to talk about application, but I think in this case we need to. Okay? So the disciples are told not to fast, but I'm sure there's some in our group here today that say, well, what about us? Do we need to fast? And so I've got Three questions I would just answer for you very quickly regarding fasting. Uh, First, I think we should ask the question, should we fast? Okay, so Jesus says his disciples shouldn't fast. They're living in a different time and era. Should we fast? And my simple answer to that question, again, I'm just for sake of time going quickly, is I think there are appropriate times for believers to fast. And, And what I base this on is the fact that Jesus himself fasted, and he assumed that followers of his would fast. You can look at Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus fasts to prepare himself for spiritual temptation. And then you can look at Matthew 6, where he says, and you, when you fast. So as I'm looking at the New Testament, Jesus fasted himself and expected his followers to occasionally fast as well. I think the same is true of the Apostle Paul. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me just uh, read to you. Of course, 2 Corinthians is based upon all of these these different texts where Paul records his hardships. There are four suffering passages that form the backbone of 2 Corinthians. And in two of these, in chapter 6, and then again in chapter 11, where you're turning, Paul, in describing the hardships that he endured in ministry, says that he engaged in fasting. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse uh, 27, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, so there are times where Paul didn't have adequate food and clothing, but then he takes it a step farther. Often, the ESV says, without food, better translated, like some of your translations, often fasting. Fastings often. In cold and exposure. And so if someone were to ask me, 
Should believers fast today? In light of what the New Testament says, I'd say, although our normal protocol as believers is to be joyful and celebratory in this age, Jesus and Paul both fasted and speak to believers to do so as well. Well, if that's the case, why would we fast or why should we fast? And uh, I just have two reasons I'll give you from the New Testament. As I, you know, There's a lot of texts on fasting in the New Testament, but these two seem most relevant to me. Can I just give them to you? You can look up the passages associated with them. Uh, we should fast because we need God's direction in our life and ministry. You could write down Acts 13, 1 through 3, and Acts 14, 19 through 23, Acts 13. Acts 13, the church of Antioch is trying to determine who to send out as missionaries. And so one of the things they do is at a corporate church, they engage in fastings and they seek the Lord. They pray to the Lord so that they might know who they should send out as missionaries. And they send out Paul. In Acts chapter 14, after Paul's gone into all these cities and planted all these churches, uh, as they're selecting elders in those cities, the church corporately prays and fasts about who to set up as elders in the church. And so Acts 14, uh, two churches, I think, is an example of times where it might be appropriate for believers to fast because we need God's direction in life and ministry. And then uh, one other reason is based off of Matthew 4, because we need God's help in trial and temptation. And again, I wish we had time to go there. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table in a moment. But in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 5, Jesus fasts to prepare to face temptation in the wilderness from Satan. And to just state it very clearly, if Jesus fasts, I think it would be justifiable to lift him up as an example for followers of his as we face spiritual temptations and trials. That leads to one last question, and that is, how should we fast? How should we fast? So I basically said, I think there are t- some times in life where, where we should fast. Gave you some reasons for it. Now, how? I'll ask you to turn to one last text, and then we're done with this application. Matthew 6. And all I have to do here is just read the text. How should we fast? When and if we ever decide to fast, what should it look like? Matthew 6, verse 16. From the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is how, okay? Now, let me answered that for you. Go back to Mark chapter 2, and let me just quickly close this out in our attention to this text. So, fasting is appropriate from time to time for New Testament followers of God. But back in our text, Jesus says that it's inappropriate for his disciples, because he was still with them. He answers the critical question here with the illustration of a groom and groomsman at a wedding. He says, it's time for feasting, not fasting. Now, Jesus' answer goes a little bit farther than this, and he gives us two illustrations or two analogies in verses 21 and 22. So, 
Look at verse 21. It says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. First, Jesus uses the illustration of garments or clothing. He said, you would not take, no one would wisely sew a new unwashed patch onto a garment that was old and had been washed several times. Because what would happen is that new patch, once washed and used, would begin to shrink. The stitches would tear away from the problem and things would just get worse. I think what Jesus is doing with this illustration is he's saying the dawning of a new age has arrived and everything has changed. A better question is not, why won't your disciples fast? It's, why aren't the Pharisees feasting at the arrival of the authoritative Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, the groom? Things have changed. It's time to party, not mourn. It's time to celebrate, not diet. So the new age has arrived and everything is different. You cannot simply sew this new piece onto the old covenant. But then Jesus gives another analogy in verse 22, and it's an analogy of wineskins. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Here, Jesus' second illustration about his disciples in fasting describes new wine and old wineskins. And he basically makes the point that those two things are incompatible. New wine would not have gone through, gone the whole way through the fermentation process and would need space to expand from the pressure involved in fermentation. One commentator said it this way. He said, instead of stretching to accommodate the pressure of fermenting wine, the dried up skins would burst. They wouldn't be able to handle it. And so the disciples aren't going to fast because something new and better is here. I mean, living in light of the old covenant, the Pharisees and the disciples of John fast, but Jesus' disciples are feasting because the groom, the son of God, Jesus is here. And as we close, let me just say this. Men and women, if the disciples had something to celebrate in the person and work of Jesus Christ, how about us? They were enjoying Jesus. But at this moment, when Matthew or Mark is describing them, they're enjoying him on the wrong side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We now live on the other side of the cross. And not only has Jesus come, he's risen. While fasting can be occasionally appropriate for New Testament believers, the main emphasis of this text is that the authoritative Son of God has arrived, changing things, bringing joy and celebration. He shifted complete paradigms. He changed worship. And men and women, 
may we be known as joyful, exuberant Christ followers who celebrate his work and eagerly expect him to come back at any moment. When we talk to someone about Christ, our spirit and attitude should not be like we're inviting someone to a funeral, like we're bidding them to a funeral. It should be that we're inviting them to a wedding and we're rejoicing in the person and work of Christ. And this morning, we'll have an opportunity to do that. i just give you a moment now to close your eyes in silent contemplation as we consider the opportunity to gather at the Lord's table, to reflect upon his sacrifice, yes, but to also rejoice in his completed work, his death and resurrection. And so I'll just give you a few moments to pray and then uh, ask the deacons, if you would, to come forward now and prepare for the Lord's table.